Today we're going to be looking at Matthew 6, 25 to 34. So if you'd like to open your Bibles, although the scripture will be on the top of the screen. And at the top you'll probably see on the heading says, do not be anxious. So we're going to be talking about anxiety today. And so I did a little search on the internet and found the top reasons why adults, children are anxious. And this is what the internet said. And we know the internet's true. <laughs> so the top five things that adults worry about, coming in at number five, paying the bills. Yeah, yeah, see some nodding heads there. Number four, surprisingly, retirement. Many people are uh, worried about retirement. Number three, and this is not a surprise for parents, kids worry about our children. No matter how old they are, we, we worry about them. Number two is our job and career. And I'm in a Bible study group, and it's surprising that the number second thing that people pray for is their job and their career, mainly because they're in an environment where there's so many non-Christians and they're struggling so much with that. And then uh, number one is getting sick. No one wants to be sick or get sick. And so that is the number one thing that makes adults anxious. So I took a look at what teenagers and high schoolers get anxious about. And here is their top five. And as you can imagine, it is quite different. Coming in at number five is that they're worried they'll forget the combination lock on their locker. <laughs> I asked my middle schoolers about this. They said, oh, we just don't lock our lockers. And then I was like, now you've got to be worried someone's going to take your books. Uh, number four is missing the school bus or being late to a class. Many time I come out of my house and see the kids running towards the bus and the bus leaves them and they wave goodbye to their friends. Hopefully they make it. Number three, not having friends. Oh, that's a really tough one. Now it's getting hard now. Not having enough friends in school. Not having anyone to sit next to at lunch. Oh, that's really sad. Number two, being too different. They're worried and anxious of being too different, especially if they're a Christian. A lot of their friends are not. That's really, really hard. And then unsurprisingly coming at number one is tough classes, exams, and grades. So top five things that teenagers and uh, middle schoolers worry about. Now, I also, for fun, looked at the top five things that fourth graders and infants and toddlers worry about. And uh, number five is the dark. <laughs> number four is dogs. I don't know, maybe big dogs, more small dogs. Number three, separation from parents. Uh, that's true, you know, when you drop them off at the daycare. Number two is spiders. We can probably put that in the adult section as well. And then number one is lunch and dinner. They're worried about what they're going to have for their lunch and dinner. And we all know all children have endless bottomless stomachs. So those are the top things that people worry about. And so the common denominator is that they're all different, but they're all things that adults, children worry about. But what does scripture say about being anxious and worrying? Well, Jesus actually has quite a lot to say about it. And so once again, if you haven't done so, you may turn to Matthew 6, 25 to 34. And this is part of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. And so on the next slide, you'll see a picture of where this may have taken place on the Sea of Galilee. We're not entirely sure, can't be certain where it is, but if you look there to the east side of the Sea of Galilee, there's a place called Gergesa with a question mark. Uh, they believe it was around that area, could have been a little bit more to the north or the northeast. And when I was over in Israel, I did take a couple of pictures of where our professor thought this might be. So in the next pictures there, you'll see where it is, um, right on a slope. So Jesus would have been down there in a boat uh, because the acoustics would have been good for the, you know, would have bounced off the water and people would have been able to hear him speak. And so that could have been an area where Jesus. Jesus was giving this sermon to all of these people. 
And so uh, right before uh, he speaks about anxiety, uh, in verses 19 to 24, which we're not going to look at, but it's important to just um, go over quickly, uh, he talks about love of money and and laying up treasures in heaven. And so verses 19 to 24 deal with the love of the world. But in the verses we're going to look at, it's going to be dealing with anxiety because of the world. And so Jesus is just going to continue talking about those issues as we start in our first section here in verse 25. So Matthew 6, verse 25. And it says here, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So Jesus immediately comes out and says, do not be anxious. And when we look in the Greek, this is actually an imperative. And so that's a command. So Jesus is actually commanding us to not be anxious. So that's easy, isn't it? So now we don't need to be anxious, yeah? We can stop the sermon and go home. No? Yeah, no, it's not that easy, is it? So that's why we've got to keep going and see why Jesus is saying this. And so this entire passage, it focuses almost exclusively on God's provision of and our anxiety over food and clothing. However, we can also see these items as two concrete examples used to teach a broader principle. So we can easily insert any other basic needs such as shelter, a community of belonging, money, all those things that can be a source of anxiety, which is also provided by God. However, the examples that are used here is because it was something that was very common in Jesus' time in the first century world because they were so foundational to their survival, but they illustrate so well God's provision for us. Now, Jesus' point could also be translated as stop worrying. So you'll hear me interchanging with the word worrying and anxious. They could easily be the same. And at the end, we have that rhetorical question that says, if not life, if, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And so it's implying that if God is the provider of life and body, he is also going to provide for our sustenance. And so since God has given us a life and a body, he will certainly also provide what we need to maintain our life. Therefore, it is wrong for us as disciples to be worried and to fret about such things. We should simply trust and obey God and follow God instead of worrying about all of those things. Now in the next uh, verse, it says this. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And so we've all seen the birds flying around, flapping around. We see hundreds of thousands of birds all around the place, and we see that they're always taken well care of. So if you look in a bird's nest, you're not going to see lots of food stored away in there. You're going to see other things that make it comfortable so they can lay eggs and they can, they can live there. So they fly down, they find berries on, on bushes, and they find floor, uh, food on the floor. Now, if you're a British seagull, you're in luck. Because when I was uh, living in England, I'd sit on the seafront with fish and chips, and a seagull swooped down and took my chips and flew away with it. And so they are very well provided, so God loves them more than any other bird, I think. (laughs) And so they are very, very fortunate. But anyway, the birds are taken well care of, and the Father, God, feeds them all. And so he asked this question, are you not of more valuable than they, these birds, that I provide them? Am I not going to provide for you as well? So in this verse, Jesus came to the first of two illustrations supporting the main theme that he talked about in verse 25. Now look at the phrase, Heavenly Father. That means God's loving care. 
So he's saying that I love and I care for you so much that I care for you even more than the birds that I provide for, and you are of much more value than them. But Jesus is not advocating waiting lazily for God's provision, rather avoiding anxiety as we take responsibility for obtaining it. And so in the next verse, it says this, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Is there anyone here who can add an extra hour by worrying to their life? No, don't see any hands. It could also actually be translated as by adding a single cubit of height to someone's length. So if you think that by worrying you're you're a shorter person, you you think you can add length to your height, it's not going to work, okay? Same thing by uh, adding an hour. Christ is basically saying it's not going to work. So don't be anxious about this. And so this verse is now moving away from the example of food to the broader picture of anxiety in general, showing its utter futility. And so, fretting cannot lengthen a person's life or build their height any more than it can put food on the table or clothes on the back. And so in verse 28, it says this, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Who here likes to go clothes shopping? Yep, all the ladies are putting their hands up. All the men are putting their credit cards away, hiding them. I asked the middle schoolers the same thing. The girls were on the right, girls on the left. All the girls with their hands up and it stopped where the boys were. So it's pretty clear. I'm not a fan of clothes shopping either. But it says here that the lilies of the field that Jesus is talking about were probably the wild crocuses that still bloom so abundantly in Galilee during the spring. However, Jesus probably intended them to represent all of the wildflowers, so all of the flowers. So his point was that God is so good that he covers the ground with beautiful wildflowers that have relatively little value and only last a short time. I don't know if any of you have like um, annuals in, in your garden. I have a few in mine. They come up during spring, they last two weeks and then they're gone. And I'm like, well, what was the point of that, you know? But God still clothes all these flowers. All the flowers don't need to worry about the pretty leaves and all that. No one's going around with a watering can, watering them. No, God is providing them because he's in control. And so in the next verse, it says this. In verse 29, he says, Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And so we all know who Solomon is. Solomon was one of the richest kings. He was probably wearing the finest of clothing, the finest of jewels. Yet God is dressing the simplest field more beautiful than Israel's wealthiest king could adorn himself. And so that's why God is basically saying, are you not more value than the flowers that I've provided? Uh, Very similar to what he was saying in the previous verse. And so he continues by saying, But if God, in verse 30, so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So now he's talking about the grass. And so the reason that he's talking about this is once dried in uh, Israel, grass became an important fuel source, uh, especially in areas where there were no trees and they could not cut wood. It could also be easily translated since that is how God clothes the grass of the field. And so the qualifying phrase, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, is emphasizing the worthlessness of the grass. And so if God cares so much for something that seems to be of such little value, he will certainly care even more for us who have a much greater value to him. 
And so this passage is not only an exhortation to trust the Father, but is also an affirmation of our great worth in his eyes. And so the believing disciple, us, has trusted God for his or her salvation and has God as his or her heavenly Father. The believer who worries about the necessities of life needs to trust God for all these things as well. And at the end of that uh, Uh, verse there it says these words you of little faith oh you of little faith we've heard that before haven't we we've heard that elsewhere in scripture Jesus has said this to his disciples on other occasions but here it could also be translated literally little faith ones now this may sound like it's a little bit of a confrontational term like Jesus is maybe scolding the people who are listening to him but if you look in the Greek the way it's been written it's more of an endearing term and so Jesus's tone he's not scolding them but rather he's reasoning them and trying to encourage them by saying do you or do you not trust your father that God loves you so much that he's going to care for you and he values you so much. So he's kind of like putting an arm around um, our shoulder and he's encouraging the disciples and he's encouraging us as we read this as well. Put your faith and trust in the Father because he is in control. And so the first point today is, is that we should not be anxious because it is unnecessary. We should not be anxious because it is unnecessary. And we see exactly what Jesus is saying through this passage here. He's saying there is absolutely no need to be anxious because God values you so much more than everything else he provides for. God loves you and God is in control. And so if God is in control, then why are we anxious and why do we have anything to worry about? God is basically saying, I will provide for you because I value you and I love you so much. Therefore, Do not be anxious because it is completely and totally unnecessary. And so now we move on to our next section here. In verse 31, Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious. That's the second time. So if Jesus says something twice, this is important. So here's the second time that he says it. So now he really wants to get your attention again, okay? Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Because in verse 32, it says, For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And so he's building up to his climax now. And so in verse 32, he makes another point about anxiety. He's basically saying it is downright pagan. Anxiety was the attitude of those who were not a part of God's kingdom. It was also totally unnecessary to worry about what to eat or drink or wear because your heavenly father knows that you need them. And so since God provides so bountifully, it is not only foolish, but pagan to fret about the basic necessities of life. And so the fretting disciple is living basically like an unbeliever who disbelieves and disregards God. Such a person like the Gentiles mentioned here or the pagans, they devote too much of his or her attention to the accumulation of material goods and disregards the most important things in life. And so I want to relate this to anxiety. You may have heard of, uh, there are several different types of anxiety. There's social anxiety, general anxiety, there's panic disorders. All of those things are, are medical things. And so, social anxiety, we're going to take a look at, it's actually those who suffer from this, they believe other people are examining them with a critical and judgmental eye. 
or they might be afraid of doing something wrong or making a social mistake. Uh, sufferers are extremely self-conscious and are in perpetual fear of embarrassing themselves because those with social anxiety are usually perfectionists. But a helpful thing for us to remember and learn that no one is perfect except Jesus Christ. You see, Western culture has bombarded people with this false idea that perfection can be attained if you look a certain way, you own a certain thing, or you have a certain career. And those who do not meet those standards see themselves as less than and unworthy of social merit. But this is a lie. Because the Bible tells us that none of these things matter to God. He looks at the heart. And so 1 Samuel 16, 7 says this. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And this is a big problem today. This is a big problem for us and for our children because there are so many things out there, social media, there's, there's magazines, there's all these TV shows that are telling our children and telling us that we need to live up to the standard they're telling us, the worldview standard. But that is impossible to attain. They're basically saying, you need to be like me. You need to buy this. You need to do that. You need to act a certain way because that's how you will be accepted and that's the standard you need to live up to. But again, it is impossible. And it's causing so much anxiety in our children and us because they're trying to attain something that is impossible. This here is the standard. This is the standard that we should be attaining for because this is God's truth. And everything else, all the people that say on social media, that is not right. And it's causing so much anxiety. And so I really truly urge you to forget that, to remember that this is God's word and he loves us and he cares for us. And this is the standard that we are to follow. And so it continues on in verse 33. And this is what Jesus says in contrast to the previous passage. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So we are to seek first God's kingdom and righteousness. So everything starts here. And so this is to be our consuming priority. So it is important to remind ourselves of some basic kingdom realities. So how does a person find God's righteousness that characterizes his kingdom? Well, Jesus starts his sermon here by pointing out our utter spiritual bankruptcy. We have no righteousness of our own. Even our best attitudes and actions do not procure it. Righteousness comes as a merciful gift, grace through faith in Christ. So everything begins with seeking his kingdom and righteousness. In fact, we are to keep on seeking God's kingdom and righteousness. We are to look for every opportunity to expand more fully as already established rule in our lives and in our world. And so we also see this phrase, all these things in those two verses. And even the last one can also be translated as all these things. And so we might imagine Jesus yet again maybe scolding, you know, the crowd and everything. But again, the Greek is not saying that. He's basically trying to get them to understand uh, that um, everything else should be behind the kingdom and righteousness in importance. So the kingdom and righteousness here, everything else should be way, way down there. So all these things that the pagans and the Pharisees are scrambling after is totally different about all the things that are thoroughly known by the Father. All these things will fall into place when we put God's kingdom and righteousness in its proper place and serve the kingdom's interests. And so our second point today is we should not be anxious because it is unworthy. 
We should not be anxious because it is unworthy. It is unworthy of our time. It is unworthy of our resources. It is completely unworthy because we are no, there is no need for us to be anxious. When so many other people are out there doing other things that the world is telling us to do, we should be seeking first the kingdom of God. Everything else is unworthy and that is what is causing so much anxiety. And so in our last verse, we come to the last verse here, and it says here in verse 34, therefore, do not be anxious. That's three times. That's three. That's a lot of times. This is really important, isn't it? Jesus is really saying, all right, you've got to listen. If you haven't heard of the first two times, listen to me now. This is really important. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So since we have a promise backed up by the testimony of God's provision, we should not fret about tomorrow because the day has enough trouble for us to deal with. And moreover, the trouble we anticipate tomorrow may never materialize. God provides only enough grace so that we can deal with life one day at a time. Tomorrow, he will also provide enough grace for what we will face then. God is going to help you deal with whatever hard things comes up when the time comes. And so I asked my middle schoolers this, I, you know, when I taught them this a few weeks, I said, think about the things that uh, you've been worried about in the past. Did they come true? And I looked around and no hands went up and they were like, huh. Hmm, light bulbs suddenly coming on. It was a very interesting thing to see. They were suddenly realizing, oh, that's true. Why am I worrying about tomorrow? The things I worry about actually aren't coming true. And so the third point today is that we should not be anxious because it is unproductive. We should not be anxious because it is unproductive. So if we spend all this time worrying about tomorrow and we spend all this time being anxious today, imagine all of those hours and days, maybe weeks that adds up throughout our life. Imagine all the things you could have been doing with that instead. It's unproductive because what's, what scripture is basically seven, it probably won't happen, the things you're worried about. So it is completely and totally unproductive. And so before we go today, I want to give you three applications from this passage. I could have given you many, many more, but we haven't got time for, for 10. So I've had to choose three. And before I go to these applications, I really want to just say something uh, very quickly. So we know that um, general anxiety, uh, social anxiety, panic disorders, these are real things. These are real things that affect people. And so I want to make it known that we have a Christian counseling center here, a counseling center here that can take scripture and comes alongside and God who has given knowledge and training to these Christian counselors can use what they have to bring alongside scripture to help your children, to help yourselves if you are actually suffering from any of those things. And so I believe that scripture is vitally important, but also God has trained those who know about this and trained them in really good techniques, but using scripture and bringing them together. And so I do urge you that if that's something you or your children are struggling with, please uh, get in touch with us so you can see one of our Christian counselors who just do an excellent job. And so here is our first application today. And number one, our first application is learn to accept ourselves the way God has made us, and look to him alone for validation and forgiveness. So one of the things that is hard for us is not to be influenced by the world, which tells us things that we should be, but not what God wants us to be. And so we end up trying to be something else that we were not designed for by God. 
So when we look for validation from others who do not have a biblical worldview, then we end up trying to live up to the standard of what they think is perfect and we seek their validation. But God is the only person who we should seek out and the only one who we can look to for validation of who we are and the only one who can forgive us. So what are we to do about this? Well, I think in order to accept ourselves the way God has made us is to remove those outside influences that may be leading us away from him. The influences that are telling us what we should be when God's word is telling us who we are. We are fearfully and wonderfully made in his image. And this is one of the reasons why anxiety is so prevalent in a person's life. When they are trying to become something that is impossible because the worldview standard is impossible to achieve. So perhaps you need to take a break from social media or check to see what is appearing on your Facebook feeds that just is so clever, it creeps in through the back door before you even know what's getting on there. Uh, Or maybe you are careful about the things that you read. There are so many magazines on lifestyle and health that we focus so much on it that we get anxiety. It takes over when we're not becoming the images that we see in those magazines. Or maybe take stock of those shows and movies that are not good for you, the ones that are anxiety-inducing. And also of importance to the people you are around. Are they giving you the support and encouragement that God is God-honoring? Or are they allowing you to find validation in the world through them? So look for the things in your life that you need to remove in order to start having a relationship with God that allows you to accept the way you were made by him and that it is only through him that true validation and forgiveness occurs. And so second application, look back on your life and see how God helped you through hard times when you were worried. Ask yourselves these questions. What was the outcome? Did it justify the amount of worrying? Now remember in verse 34, we were talking about not worrying about tomorrow. Well, perhaps you should think about and your life and go back through your life and see how the things you were anxious about for days upon end actually never came true. You can actually think about it now. You can go home and you can make a list about it, but you will be amazed with what you see with those results. You will actually see that the amount of time that you spent worrying was actually not worth it because it never came true. And we can actually go a little bit further here because studies have been done with this. And uh, the last stat I checked was that 92% of the things that we worry about never come true. So if the studies say it, and you look back and write your list and see it, then perhaps this is a great exercise for you to remember that it is unnecessary to spend so much time worrying on it when there's a 92% chance it won't even materialize. And our third and final application, and this is one of the most important ones of all, by reading God's word, by being in prayer, and constantly being in Christian community, we can use God and our friends to help us with anxiety. And so God's word is an amazing encouragement when we end up in times of anxiety. And prayer should also be something that gives us great comfort and peace when we are struggling. And then our church community is so vital in supporting and encouraging one another when you are going through hard times. And I really want to urge any of you here, if you're not in a life group, find a life group here because those life groups are really encouraging for each other. It's a place where you can pray and encourage each other when you are worrying or struggling. And it's such an important place. And, you know, the student ministry life group, same place there. If you have children, you haven't got them in a life group. I've been to those life groups. It's so amazing to see how those girls and boys, they encourage each other they pray with each other they really do help each other out and it's so important that they have a grounded uh, word of God in their life and so God's word is where you can really find that encouragement to stop you being uh, anxious I want to share with you a couple of stories before I close today 
Uh, first story I want to share with you, these are examples of some of our kids that parents have told me how they, they found that God's scripture and word has really helped them. So there was a young lady, she auditioned for one of our theatre camps and uh, she got a role in it and she told her mum that she was feeling really worried and anxious uh, that she wasn't going to be able to remember her lines or perform very well. And then one day her mum walks into her bedroom and sees her reading scripture and notices she's in the Psalms and says, hey, what are you doing? And she said, you know what, I just knew that I needed to go to God's word because that was where I was going to get encouragement. And as I'm reading the Psalms, my anxiety, my anxiety and worries have just gone away. And her mum was just amazed how her daughter had figured out that this is where I go to, to stop that anxiety and that worry. God's word was there to help her. A second story, another one very similar in the theatre department. We had a young lady, a mother came to me and said, you know, since my daughter has been doing this, her anxiety has dropped. And we really truly believe it's because she's in good Christian community, everyone is encouraging each other, but also all of the words that you're singing is based on scripture. So she's getting God's word in her life and she's putting her faith and trust in God through all of these situations and we've seen her anxiety drop uh, because of this. Another story, a young lady in the sixth grade came to me about a year ago. We had just worked on the lesson, uh, Jesus Calm in the Storm, and she came up to me afterwards and she said, you know, based on God's story today, my dad is going to be deployed overseas, and I was so worried and I was so anxious, but when I heard that there's no need to fear, God is going to protect us, I just knew that my dad was going to be okay, and I stopped worrying. So look at all those examples of our children, knowing that when we're in God's word, how it can help them with their worrying and anxiety. And right now, upstairs, um, in the fifth and sixth grade group, we've got a group of young ladies and a couple of leaders who are actually making these little things here. So these are called Don't Worry Worms. And so they're actually therapeutic. You can play with them as well, so it relieves your stress as well. But attached to them is a uh, verse. Uh, right here, it's called, I'm your big don't worry worm. Don't worry about everything. Pray about everything based on Philippians 4, 6 to 7. And they're handing these out to non-believers and believers so that they know God's truth. Don't worry and don't have anxiety. Aren't our kids amazing? They're just incredible examples of, 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 of incredible leadership here and God just doing incredible things in each and every one of their lives. So as you leave today, I want you to remember the, the I call them the three uns. Do not be anxious because it is unnecessary, you can join in, do not be anxious because it is unworthy, and don't be anxious because it is unproductive, good. So I hope that you guys go away with this encouragement, and I do hope that you hear that God is telling you not to be anxious uh, because of all of those things. So let us just pray uh, before we leave today. Father, thank you so much for this encouraging word. We're so grateful for each and every uh, thing that you give us. We're so grateful uh, that Christ knew that this was going to be an issue today, uh, especially um, over the next few years, and we just know that we just need to put our faith and trust in you, and remember that you are in control. And so, Lord, I just pray that we leave today knowing that there is help out there uh, for our kids and for each and every one of us, uh, for God's word, uh, his scripture, and also for the help that our counselors are giving here at BCC. And so, Lord, I just pray we go away uh, without an anxious heart, but with a joyful heart so that we uh, can uh, remember you and what you did uh, by sending your son to die for our sins. Father, we just love you. In your name we pray. Amen.